Today I met the boy I'm going to marry. He's all I wanted all my life and even more. He smiled at me and the music started playing. Here comes the bride when he walked through the door. Today I met the boy I'm going to marry. The boy whose life and dreams and love I want to share. The boy who's on my hand a band of gold will bear. The band of gold I always dreamed I'd wear. When we kissed, I felt a sweet sensation. This time it wasn't just my imagination. Today I met the boy I'm going to marry. He's just what I've been waiting for. Oh yes, with every kiss. Oh, this is it. As if my heart keeps saying, today I met the boy I'm going to marry. Fifteen and a half years ago, when Katie and I got married in St. Paul, Minnesota, that is a song, not that we walked down the aisle to, but the song we paraded into our reception hall. It was playing, we were jubilant, hand in hand, running into the reception hall. And the song has never stopped playing since. Katie still smiles at me, and the music still plays in her heart every single day. She always tells me, you're just what I've been waiting for, Mark. Every single kiss that touches her lips, her heart flutters away as if she's going to the very staircase of heaven. If you've been married for longer than a couple months, you know that that is a big fat lie. Yes, the heart flutters at times, but the heart flutters fade. And the trials of life come and encroach on even the most happiest of unions. Why do people get married? So much divorce, so much arguing, so much pain is often found within marriages. Some of the things that that I hear either... uh, if I've done premarital counseling before or just that you hear uh, kind of in the world is you hear reasons for getting married. Like I want to marry her because I'm attracted to her. I want to marry him because I think we'll be together forever. He's got a good job. He comes from a good family. He treats me nice. He makes me laugh. She makes me feel good about myself. Our personalities mesh. Or for a big portion of the world, my parents and his parents arranged us. And so we're married. These are all reasons that people decide to get married. But marriage can be very, very difficult. So what grounds a marriage? What makes sense of marriage. Why do we even do this thing called marriage? Matthew and Hannah, why'd you get married? Allison and Randy, what's the point of it all? What sustains it? And can marriage really thrive? Can there really be a blissful union? In Ephesians 5, we see the purpose of marriage. We see that thriving marriages know and dwell on the love between Christ and the church. Thriving marriages, they know and they dwell upon 
the love between Jesus Christ and his church. It's been several weeks since we've been in Ephesians, so um, let me just remind you of where we are. We've been uh, verse by verse, section by section, working our way through this book. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has told us that God has saved a people by his grace, not by their works, not by their efforts. No merit could save anybody, but by his grace. And these people that have been saved by his grace have come to know him and come to love him. And then we get to chapter 4. And in chapter 4 and following, he's kind of fleshing out what the Christian life looks like in light of this marvelous grace. And we see that the church, the people of God, is called the body of Christ. And the body of Christ has Jesus as its head. And the body of Christ is growing into him who is the head. We are being conformed. Every Christian, individually, also churches, collectively, corporately, are being conformed into the image of Christ as we grow up and mature in him. And that's kind of where we are now in Ephesians 5. If you're single right now, I wonder if you're kind of wondering, all right, do I, how does this apply to me? Do I tune in? Do I tune out? Well, well, it applies to you, one, because it's in the scriptures. So it applies to you. God wants you to know this. But two, you don't know if you're going to be married one day. You don't know what God's plans are for you. Three, I think you should listen because you can encourage those who are married currently and those who will get married, to seriously and joyfully take on the roles described in Ephesians 5. As a covenant church member here, that's part of uh, your obligation. Uh, Fourthly, you can also enrich your hope in the day that Christ will come for his bride. See, all Christian marriages, even the best of him, are but a foretaste of the marriage between the Lamb and And the people he has so perfectly, so completely, and fully loved. So if you're single, let me encourage you to listen. If you're a wife, let me encourage you to listen. If you're a husband, let me encourage you to listen. Our text is found on page 978 of your pew Bible. We'll be reading Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, page 978 of your pew Bible. Let me go ahead and read verse 21 to show you the context. If your Bible is like mine, it kind of cuts it off there. It says wives and husbands, but it really flows out of the rest of five. So let's look at chapter 5, verse 21, and then I'll keep reading. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that by the power of the Spirit, as our brother Andrew prayed earlier, you would equip us, that you would train us to see the beauty of Jesus and the love that he has for us, his church. And we pray that we would see that in our own marriages, that we would desire more and more to display that love to the world, display it in our home, and to love for us, those of us who are husbands, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We pray for those of, those of us who want to be married and yet are not married. Oh, we pray that throughout this sermon that you would show them that Christ is the perfect bridegroom. Lord, we love you. We pray that you work in our midst. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Our sermon pretty much has two points. It's not hard to see where they are. First of all, verses 22 to 24, wisdom for Christian wives. Wisdom for Christian wives. For a marriage to be a joyful portrayal of Christ in the church, Paul says, wives are to, to submit to their own husbands. This submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ means different things to different people. For wives, it means submitting to their own husbands. Now, notice a few things here. The text does not say to every husband. The apostle makes that very clear. There's, there's one person in this way that a wife should, should submit to. That's their own husbands. But also notice what's extremely important. Husbands and wives. Every Christian. Listen. Extremely important. It says, as to the Lord. You see it there in verse 22. As to the Lord. Wives submit to their husbands as they submit to their Lord. This means that if a husband is leading in a way that the Lord would never, that means into sin that a wife should not submit. That is sin. The Lord would never lead his bride into sin. But notice what he is saying. If you love Jesus, if you trust him, if you revere Jesus... Now, first and foremost, you must know that he is your Lord. He is your master. And the Lord wants you to feel, wife, in a similar way toward your husband. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? The Lord of Lords in a similar, in a like way, not in the exact same way, wants you to feel and show respect to your husbands in a similar fashion as you do to King Jesus. Now, all analogies break down at some point, right? 
Wives, you should not worship your husband because that would be idolatry. God hates idols. Idolatry is adoring anything more than God. And this also means that you should not submit if your husband is causing you to sin. If your husband is leading you to works of the flesh, to envy, to drunkenness, to sensuality, to jealousy, to strife, and so forth, don't join him in those things. Notice, it doesn't say you disrespect him in those ways, but you don't join him in, in those. So, but what's important here is to see the logic. Your Lord would never encourage you, let alone make you engage in such sinful actions. So you do not submit to anyone that is asking you to sin, whether that's a husband, a parent, or a boss. So children, if your parents are ever leading you to sin, God's word tells you not to fall them into sin. If you are, and, and we'll see that next week, and in the following week as we look at the relationship between bondservants and, and masters, in a similar way, bondservants don't follow their masters into sin. Or employees don't follow their employers into sin. You see, the Lord knows that there could be times when your husband will not just make mistakes, but lead in such a way that you could feel the pressure to sin. And brothers and sisters, we don't have time to kind of weed all that out. And as I'm preparing this, to be honest to you, I'm like, I got to qualify this. I have to qualify this. I have to qualify this. And it became probably rather exhausting. So if you hear something uh, that, that lands kind of really harsh on you, just come talk to me afterward. It, you might be misinterpreting what I'm saying. And I don't have time to qualify every single sentence I'm saying. Neither does Paul, though. <laughs> what does he say? He says, wives, submit to your husbands in everything. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of, of the Holy Spirit in order to know how to respond to your wife throughout much of your marriage. Let me encourage you to find a couple godly women around you to help you see into your own life. A couple of godly women who love God's word to help you see ways that you can submit and respect your husband. Husbands, encourage your wives to find someone else besides you to speak into their lives when it comes to their marriage. You see, look at verse 23. In verse 23, we have the reasons for this submission. All of God's commands are pointing to something greater. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. If you're a Christian wife in this room, it is going to be very difficult to follow these instructions without understanding verse 23. That's what kind of anchors it. This is what makes sense of the command. So here Paul is anchoring these commands once again in rich theology. Remind let me remind you, let me just walk through a bit of Ephesians real quick. In chapter 1, we see that God has put all things under the feet of Jesus. And he's given Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In chapter 2, we are all built upon Jesus because he is a cornerstone. 
And we're growing into a holy temple for the Lord as we look to him. Chapter 3, Christ is to dwell in our hearts that we might be rooted and founded in him. Grounded in his love to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. Chapter 4, he's the head because from him the church is given gifts to enrich the body. In chapter 4, he's the head because we're growing into him, into mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And by speaking the truth in love, we are built up into him who is the head, Jesus Christ. That's all of us. And in verse 22, Christians should submit to one another out of reverence, respect, a healthy fear for Christ. And now, in this portion of the text, he's going through different relationships of authority and submission. And the first ones we see here between wives and husbands. And then we see in chapter 6, children and fathers. And chapter, as chapter 6 continues, bond servants and masters. So what we see is that mutual submission out of reverence for Christ does not negate submission in all categories. You make that very clear. There's a lot of unhealthy teaching that this church even used to teach for decades and decades. Mutual submission out of reverence for Christ does not mean that there's not other categories of submission. Mainly, as Paul is saying here, between employer, employee, between parents and children, and between husbands and wives. I imagine that when many of you hear the word authority, you don't have positive experiences that flood your mind. I imagine that when many of you, especially women, hear the word submission, instead of kind provision by God, you hear restriction. Or maybe, as I used to do when I was growing up, you hear images of leave it to beaver. Of a wife just standing barefoot, pregnant in the kitchen, just kind of making a meal for her husband to come home to. Or maybe you hear submission and you're thinking of feminist marches in the 1960s. Whatever the case may be, let us all continue to be transformed by the renewing of our mind according to God's word. Friends, God's word says that submission in marriage is beautiful. God's word tells us that the relationship of a husband and wife is to mirror the relationship between Christ and the church. You see, marriage is an imperfect picture of the perfect. Marriage is an imperfect picture of the perfect. The best thing for your marriage to thrive is to understand and to know the relationship between Christ and his church. Yes, Jesus is the savior of the church. Jesus is the one who saved you from your sins. And as the church submits to our savior, to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And again, I wonder how many of you recoil at that word, everything. Does that mean if I want Chinese food one night and Katie wants Mediterranean, like I can just lord my authority over her and say, hey, babe, look, it says it right here, right? Submit. Again, I'm not getting into all All I know is that that's never happened in our marriage. And whenever I meet with someone for marital counseling, those kind of examples never come up. 
So if in your mind you're wanting, does everything mean everything in every little category? That's just in a hypothetical weird world. That never actually happens in a Christian house. That might happen. If it does, come talk to me. We'll, we'll pray about it. We'll talk about it. But, but I want you to realize what I think this is saying is in every category, God's word is telling us, wives, submit to your husbands in everything. And what's so hard about this text, I imagine, not a wife, is that your husbands will fail you. It is guaranteed to happen that your husband will let you down, your husband will lead you astray sometimes, and your husband will fail you. And yet, God's word is saying in everything, well, it's hard because you know the Lord will never fail you. And so, I, wives, you can say, yes, I'll submit to you, Lord. But, Lord, it's hard to submit to you when you say submit to him. Of course, this is hard. Think back to Genesis chapter 3. What does God say in the curse? What does he say? When he speaks to Satan... Right? He gives us that hope that one day there will be someone who comes from the line of Eve and will crush the head of the serpents. He'll be bruised in the process. And he says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband. He says other things. When it comes and says your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. There will not be an easy, glad, trusting relationship between a wife and a husband. She will not easily, all the time, desire to follow his lead, even when he's leading well. So it is difficult, but it certainly is possible with the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. Wives, let me encourage you to remember that your Lord loves you completely and perfectly. And your husband cannot and will, you not, will not love you perfectly and completely. But your perfect Lord, the King of Kings, is asking you to have a posture of respect from the heart. It's mainly what this means. A respectful disposition toward your husband, even when your husband lets you down and fails you. Even if he might be acting in a disrespectful way toward you. Now, I want to say that there are certain things that if you are a wife in this room and your husband is mistreating you with verbal abuse or physical abuse or spiritual abuse, or if he is having an affair, he's abandoned you in some sort of way then the Bible has other, other categories for that. But Paul hasn't seen fit to put those here in Ephesians 5. And if that's the case, please come talk to me or to one of the pastors you saw up here, Matt, Andrew, Jeff, or Philip, maybe someone else you know in the church. We want to care for you in that way. And again, I'm not trying to caveat everything I say, but I feel like that needs to be said because I don't want anyone to be in an abusive relationship. This is so countercultural. Wives, if this, if this strikes you as difficult, that's because it is. And Genesis says, Genesis 3 says so. 
But there's only one way that God has told us that a marriage is to display the glory of, of Christ. And that is for wives to, for the wives first to submit to their husbands. And submission is not blindly following him. It's not never giving your advice. It's not true. My goodness, praise God, the wisdom of our wives. Right, men? Submission is not inferiority. It's not bondage. The Bible always portrays good authority and submission under as liberation and joy. So wives, let me encourage you to encourage your husband to have a heart posture of trust, even when you don't feel like it. Let me encourage you to give him the word of God. If your husband's leading you astray, you think, I'm guessing he'll be silent if you give him the word of God. And then in God's kindness, he'll be redirected. Remember that your husband is a fellow needy sinner saved by grace. Infuse the word of God in your marriage. And church, let me just say something since we're on this topic. Let's all be careful about how we talk about women, especially when we use the adjective strong women. Or she has a strong personality. It's just something I've picked up, noticed in the last 10, 20 years of being uh, in the Christian world. That's always used as an, a negative thing. It's like, like, the only way to be a woman is to be really just quiet and not have opinions. Brothers and sisters, that's not true. Strong women are a good thing. The opposite of strong is what? Weak? Well, we want more weak women with weak personalities? That's not true. We want strong women who love God's word. And that use God's word in their marriages. Being submissive in your marriage is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength because you're trusting the Lord of Lords. I'm always encouraged by reading stories of Martin Luther's marriage. It seems like that not many people could stick up to Martin Luther. Except his wife, Katharina von Bora. See, Martin Luther would often have these periods of physical and, and mental health where he was really weak. And he developed this odd habit of locking himself in his room. He would refuse food and water. And it's recorded on one such occasion when he had been in his room for four days... Katharina had the door removed and ordered him to come out and eat. And on another occasion, when Luther was downcast in a depressed spirit, she dressed up in mourning clothes in all black. And then Luther asked her who died. She replied that surely the Lord himself must have died because it's the only reason for her husband to be so sad. She, this, she's a strong woman. I wouldn't necessarily adopt that approach to everyone, but I think that would bring some humor into our marriage sometimes. Kate, if you did that, if I'm downcast, get me, get me up out of the pit. See, there are so many examples of godly, strong women in our church. And they all look so different. I praise God for the good examples. If you are a young wife, let me encourage you to look to older women in this church who have been married for a season and ask them and model them 
and encourage them. Secondly, we have wisdom for Christian husbands. Mayor Jefferson, I don't, would you mind moving your coat a little bit? That's blocking my clock. Thank you. Could be here for hours. Never know. Wisdom for Christian husbands, verses 25 to 32. Now he speaks to how redeemed, blood-bought husbands should relate to their wives. And he mainly uses the word love. It's mentioned six times in this text. The manner of Jesus' love, the way he loved the church, is the husband's model for how he is called to love his wife. Every time I do a wedding, I say that since the fall of Adam, men have this spectrum of being passive or being domineering. And men, we're all on the spectrum somewhere. We either lean into passivity or we lean into dominance. And some days we're on one side and some days we're on the other. This is part of the curse. As God cursed Eve, this is part of the curse for man. In this text, this type of love can be summed up in, in three ways. The kind of love he's calling us to. So that men, we're not passive nor are we domineering. Sacrificial, word-soaked, and with a view of the final marriage in sight. Sacrificial love, word-soaked love, and Final marriage love in sight. Look at verse 25 to see the sacrificial love that husbands are called to. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's it? That's all I got to do to love my wife? Is just love her in the same way that, the, that Jesus loved this church? Well, how did he love his church? It says that he gave himself up for her. He, he loved his church in a self-giving manner. He came to serve her, not to be served by her. He emptied himself for her. So this is saying, in a way, in a way it is saying, husbands, love your wives to the point of dying for her. Serve her to the point of death. Just like Jesus has served his church and gave himself up for her. See, if you are here and you're, you're not yet a Christian, I'm wondering just how this is hitting you right now. You came on a Sunday when we're talking about wives submitting to their husbands. But let me tell you what's most provocative and radical about this text is this line right here. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You see, Christ, though he was God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped or to something to use to his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself. Christ took on the form of a servant, though he was Lord of lords. Being born in the likeness of men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross, a physically painful and publicly shameful type of death. If you're not yet a Christian, I wonder if you've ever considered the love of Christ for you. I praise God that you've come and decided to join us this morning. Let me encourage you to consider how a man who died on a cross 2,000 years ago 
now still have people convening and meeting to talking about him 2,000 years later. Lots of people died on the cross in Roman times. But none of them have the fame that Jesus had because we believe that Jesus rose from the dead three days later. The grave could not contain him. But he rose in his body three days later and then he ascended on high and now he is Lord of Lords waiting in heaven to come back and get his bride. If you have more questions about that, I encourage you to come speak to me afterward. I would love to spend the rest of my afternoon and speak to you about the gospel of Christ. See, this is the type of love that husbands should have with their wives. Husbands, what a weighty role. Sacrificial love is hard love. You can't say I'm going to marry her because she makes me feel good about myself. Sacrificial love is looking at her and denying yourself. In a sense, you're taking up your cross and saying, I'm going to give my life to her. But brothers, this is what we're called to. You see, so many people think that the most countercultural part of this text is wives submit to your husbands. No, 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 no. For a generation like mine, when your models of being a husband are Homer Simpson and Tim the Toolman Taylor, Carl Winslow, that only hit people in their 30s, I think, 40s maybe. You don't, we didn't see any models like this. This is a radical and provocative call. This cross-shaped love for husbands to love their wives. See, husband, God has called you to love your wife by giving up your own life to serve her. Every Christian marriage is a call for husbands to give himself to her. And this is the kind of love that displays the glory and the matchless love of Jesus for his bride, the church. One of the hardest trials that my wife and I have faced in the last couple of years is my mother-in-law's dementia. She was diagnosed two and a half years ago with frontotemporal dementia. FTD occurs when the nerve cells in the frontal and temporal lobes become lost. And it causes this portion of the brain to shrink. There are varied side effects. Most simply, FTD starts to change the person. You see, my mother-in-law is not who she used to be. She's still the same person. You still have some of the same traits, but it's kind of a hard thing to process. It's like day by day, she's changing. And to see Katie walk through that has been one of the most difficult and painful trials we've experienced. One great blessing from this has been the sacrificial love of my father-in-law for his wife. It's been one of the greatest examples I've seen of this type of sacrificial love that, for a, that a husband has for his wife. We've seen him make plans to retire early, to go on vacations with her, to not go on certain vacations with friends, to miss out on hunting trips and fishing trips. In fact, she's staying with us next weekend and, and he almost pulled back, didn't want to because he's going to go snorkeling. But he's cut his vacation short because he said, I'm just going to miss her so much. And it is the same person that she married, that he married. But it's not. And we see Joe, my father-in-law, just lay down his life. 
Just giving it all for his bride. What an example of love. That makes the world wonder and say, what's up with that? That's not a me first mentality. I said, I don't care about my life. I'm going to give my all for my bride. I'm so encouraged talking to Randy Howell a couple months ago. We're taking a walk around Brookside. And he was talking about being married to Allison. And one thing he mentioned is that Allison's sister, uh, Amanda, has Down syndrome. And there's a good probability, right, Allison, that one day your parents won't be able to take care of Amanda and you or your sister will have to. And I remember talking to Randy about that. I said, are you ready for that? And he knew there was a cost to it. But he's so in love with Allison. It did not hesitate, he did not hesitate to say, yeah, I'll do that. Whatever plans they might have to travel the world, to move to such and such location, he's ready to take on anything because he loves Allison so much. What a portrayal of the gospel, of Christ's love for the church. Allison, praise God for a husband like Randy. Brothers, do not enter into marriage thinking how your wife fits your desires. How your wife makes you happy. That will last for a moment. Love your fiance, love your wife. Consider what it looks like to give up your life for hers. You do not know what will come your way. Do not know if your wife will be in a wheelchair the rest of her life. You do not know if your wife will get Alzheimer's or dementia. You do not know what the future holds. So take seriously this marital covenant. Praise God for the sacrificial love that we see in this church time and time again. Lean into this church so that you can see little portrayals of this. Praise God for the way that Dalton Box has carried, cared for Megan over the years with different physical things, and especially now that Megan's carrying twins. It's all a testimony to the grace of God in their lives, pointing to a bigger picture. Well, secondly, for husbands, their love is not just self-denying, sacrificial. It's also word-soaked. It's word-drenched. Look at verse 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Jump down to verse 28. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves himself, loves his wife, loves himself. And no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Husbands, give the word of God to your wife. Read it, pray over it, sing it, meditate on it. In Proverbs 30 says that every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. There's so many lies that the world is feeding your wife, women in general. Give them the word of God, which proves true. There's so many fears in this world, so many things to be anxious about. Remind them that God is a shield to those who take refuge in him. 
Psalm 18, verse 30. This is God. His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but Yahweh? And who is a rock except our God? Husbands, let this lingo, this language, this vernacular be a part of your marriage. Now, please don't think while I'm up here that I'm doing this perfectly. I want to strive more and more to counsel and to lead and to pray my family, my wife, by the word of God. You see here in this text right here, Paul is using imagery from Ezekiel 18, where God is caring for Jerusalem, his bride. And in Ezekiel 18, you can see that God is caring for his people and he's, he's shielding them. He's protecting them. He's providing for them. And he's even washing them by his word. By speaking to them. He anoints his bride in Ezekiel 18. And then he makes her royalty. And he eventually makes her perfect with radiant splendor. God did this. Through his son Jesus Christ. And now husbands are called to care for their own wives. By the washing of water with the word. Who is the word of God, if not Jesus? Jesus is the word of God. So husbands, give your wives Jesus. Point them to Jesus. He is the one that sanctifies his church by making her pure through the word of the gospel. And now our call is to continue to give our spouses God's word, to lead in this way. This has an actual effect Washing her by the water of the word. You're going to need this in your marriage. If you want your marriage to thrive. Husbands, care for the spiritual health of your bride. Make sure she has time undistracted to read God's word, to meditate upon it. Gently lead her in that way. Just a word to husbands again. I want you to be very slow, extremely slow, snail-like slow to believe that the problem in your marriage, if your wife is not respecting you, that the problem is hers or that the problem starts with her. If you notice here, Jesus is the one who wins his bride. I've never found it very fruitful in a marital, uh, in, a, in, a, in an argument with Katie to go to the courtroom, right? To say, you've done these things, I've done these things. Let's see who's really guilty here. I've never seen a marriage that's in trouble turn around. Successfully, except when a husband takes responsibility And starts to lead his wife and care for her and love her by self-sacrificing his own desires and also by leading in giving the word of God to her. By modeling this, by praying the word of God. So husbands, if you're called to love your wife as Christ has loved the church through sacrifice, through proactively feasting on the bread of life, the word of God... I'm willing to bet you will most likely win her over 
by your love. She will be wooed to you. You will, and it says, earn her respect. And that she'll love delighting and trusting in you. And I'm wondering if you're thinking, well, I've tried that. I'm just asking, have you? If you think you've tried that, invite others in. Maybe you've tried it. This is what usually happens. My 15 years of ministry experience. Husbands will try it for a week or two and they'll say, you know, it's not working. And I want to say, brother, has your marriage been built on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Well, no, but I'm trying. Well, like you've given it two weeks effort. We just got done with a kitchen reno and that took four months. We didn't even do foundation work. Sometimes it takes time to turn around a marriage in a particular area. If you have, in a sense, built the foundation of your marriage on sinking sand and you're trying to pour concrete, it's going to be messy. Be patient. Involve others in your life. By no means give up. Wait upon the Lord. Show your wife that you can love her. Apologize to her. Ask for forgiveness. Acknowledge ways in which you failed to love her like Christ has loved the church. Win your wife like that. I'm so encouraged by the elders and their wives and their marriages. And I'm encouraged, and I just want to say this up front. All the elders and their wives have seen counselors at some point. All of them have problems in their marriages. And all of them have friends that speak into their marriages. So don't see any of the pastors up here and any of the pastor's wives as people who don't have problems and don't need help in their marriage. But lastly, we see in verse 27 to 32 that you husbands can love your wives by having the final marriage in sight. By having the final marriage in sight. Look at verse 27 and verse 32. And 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. Paul tells us what we already know. Verse 32, this mystery is profound and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. This is what it's all for. If you've walked into marriage and you didn't know what it was for, here it is. Your marriage is to portray the gospel to the world and to get you ready for that day. That day that Revelation 19 7 says, To let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Your marriage is pointing to this. Dear husbands, dear wives, never forget the, reason, the main reason for your marriage. is to get you ready for that day and to point others to that day. Look at the, if you have a bulletin, turn to the page number 10. The sands of time are sinking. We sing this song maybe once every three months. This is written by Samuel Rutherford in 1857. It was improved and made more singable in 2014. And I'm going to read this 
whole song. And then we're going to conclude, and then we're going to sing it. The sands of time are sinking. The dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've sighed for, the fair sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark hath been the midnight, but day spring is at hand. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. The king there in his beauty without a veil is seen. It were a well-spent journey, though seven deaths lay between. The lamb with his fair army doth on Mount Zion stand. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. O Christ, he is the fountain, the deep, deep well of love. The streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. There to an ocean fullness his mercy mercy doth expand, and glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. Oh, I am my beloved's, and my beloved's mine. He brings a poor, vile sinner into his house of wine. I stand upon his merit. I know no other stand, not even where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. The bride eyes not her garments, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. Brother and sister, whether you are married or single, that's all our story. See, Jesus says that there's no marriage between man and woman in heaven. So for me, Katie, this is all we got in this life. I guess we'll be really good friends in heaven. I'm not sure what it looks like. (laughs) But Jesus will be our groom. And we will be so content. So any joy you experience in marriage, it will be maximized and expanding and going on and on for eternity in heaven. What a glorious, glorious picture that is. And what a good, kind shepherd we have. And a faithful groom. You see, Christian marriages are imperfect portrayals of the perfect marriage. And so that they might thrive, brother and sister, if you are married, adhere to these words. If you are single, look forward to that day when you will have the perfect groom. Encourage those of us who are married to carry on to press into the truths of Ephesians 5. As I conclude... No marriage can be able to exemplify this if you don't have a culture of grace. Remember what Ephesians 4.32 says. Because in marriage, you are going to sin against one another. You will let each other down. You will misunderstand each other. And you will sin against each other. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Remember the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will showcase the gospel and strengthen you in your marriage. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that wives would respect their husbands. We pray that husbands would love their wives. Make this true of this church. And Lord, when we undoubtedly fail in these areas, encourage us to carry on. Make us tender-hearted, full of grace toward one another. And we pray that we would have a church culture that joyfully and kindly speaks into one another's lives. We pray this for your great glory. And Lord, we look forward today to the day when Christ will come back to gather us up. That we might see him face to face. Encourage our hearts as we sing about that now. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.